The title for today's talk is Looking Forward. Just make some space for those who are coming in. So, say again, the title of the talk is Looking Forward. For most of us, habitually, looking forward is like the, as you say in computer language, the default setting of our mind. A setting that's make us meant that's meant to make us feel safe and secure. Which is pretty odd, isn't it? After all, how can the future be safer than the present? Than right now? The trick is that while the present is right in front of us, up against our nose, stirring us in, in our face. We can't fake it, really. The future is just hypothetical, just presumptive. And so it gives us the opportunity to play make-believe. I mean, not that we all create these beautiful future scenarios. The scenario we create for the future may be, in fact, a horrendous one. But amazing, you know, this mind is amazing. Sometimes its choice is to, to, to image horrors. But whatever it is, it's something that we choose We pretend it's there. It's a let's pretend thing. And we can look forward to it with absolute certainty. Because it's never going to be come up to be tested against reality. It's going to be forever receding. Awesome. Whenever it was, nearly 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago, I was a scientist at the University of Edinburgh. And I had one very lovely Scottish girl as a lab assistant, her name being Rusty, because she was red-haired and, and full of freckles and very lively and very young. And every time she came into my lab, she'd go to a blackboard, and in the corner of her blackboard, she sketched the picture of her dream man. <laughs> 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 it, it, it was very, very nice. 
certainly much better than all the, <laughs> the men that she picked up in between. Fremont fixed there. And, but we do this in some, some, this is crude, but we do it in so, so many subtle ways, you know. As we eat our food, you can check it out at lunch today. The mind tends to go, no, I'm not saying it, it always goes, you've had some training now, but the mind tends to go, not to this bite I'm tasting, but to the next one. And that seems to be the real good one. <laughs> and a completely, I mean, uh, so many different areas of life are covered by this strategy. Completely different situation. I go a few days ago to my dental hygienist to clean up my teeth. They apparently weren't supposed to do that. And, and they have a way of uh, picking up a topic of conversation and then making you open your mouth and they <laughs> blabber about it. You see? So, <laughs> see, first thing she asked me is, what are, you, what, are you planning any trips this summer? <laughs> Which I wasn't, but I, I barely had the time to say, no, I'm not. <laughs> but uh, apparently that's the, not just uh, for her sake, but also for her um, patients' sake, you know? I mean, the, he entertains them with plans for the summer, future. Here's a poem by Faith Wilding. It's about women. Very simple, straightforward poem. It says, Waiting for my breath, breath, breast to develop. Waiting to wear a bra. Waiting to menstruate. Waiting for life to begin, waiting. Waiting to be somebody. Waiting to get married. Waiting for my wedding day. Waiting for my wedding night. Waiting for the end of the day. Waiting for sleep waiting. And so, as long as we remain fixated in the future, Walid recedes relentlessly, letting it recede relentlessly into manana, into an eventuality that will never come to pass. As long as we can hang on to the default setting of looking forward, and always looking forward, the future is safe, invulnerable to the reality of things as they are. 
there's a catch. An obvious catch, isn't there? The fiction of the ever-receding future cannot go on indefinitely. Eventually, reality, the here and now, catches up on us and throws a monkey wrench into the works. The mind can no, long, no longer hold on to that default setting as, some, as a future that never comes. It comes. I was interested the other day in the story, the legend of the sword of Damocles. I, I, some of you may have heard it, others not. And, and so I, I went and investigated it a little bit. Actually, I went to the, to the web to look at Damocles. But it turns out, and this uh, apparently is a genuine version, it turns out that Damocles was a very obsequious courtier, a flatterer, in the ancient kingdom of Syracuse, what's now Sicily, I suppose. The ruler of Syracuse, one Dionysius, was, of course, at the receiving end of all this flattery, and he got a little fed up with it. I mean, it was too much. So he thought that he'd teach Damocles a lesson. He'd show Damocles that all this power and richness that he had had also its downside. Here's a story as told by Cicero. Dionysius gave orders that Damocles be placed on a golden couched, I mean, he's in the court, court of course, he's invited to the court regularly. And this day, he gave orders that he be placed on a gold, golden couch covered with the most beautiful woven rug, embroidered with splendid works. And then he adorned many sidewalks with chased silver and gold and gave orders that chosen boys of outstanding beauty, this is Greece, of course, like Greece, should stand by his table and that they, watching for a sign of Damocles, should attentively wait on him. There were unguents and garlands, perfumes were burning, tables were piled up with the most select foods. Damocles seemed himself fortunately, fortunate. In the middle of his luxury, Dionysius ordered that a shining sword fastened for, from the ceiling by a horse hair be laid down so that it hung over the neck 
of that fortunate man. And so, in the end, Damocles looked neither at those handsome waiters, nor the wonderful silver work, nor did he stretch his hand to the table. Now even the very ref slipped off. Finally, he begged the tyrant that he should be allowed to depart because he no longer wanted to be fortunate. Let me decode that if it isn't obvious already. You see, unlike our sort of the version we have fixed of Democles, that the problem was in the sword that's hanging there by a thin horse hair can break any minute and kill us. What Dionysius is trying to convey to Democles is that the problem is in having all this fortune all these possessions and power, because when you do that, and Dionysius, I'm sure, was sort of conveying what he felt about being so rich and powerful, it's terrible, because you're all the time thinking, when is this going to go away? In depending upon holding on, on to this, it's a future that knocks at your door that worries you. Can I keep holding on to this all the time? Won't something change and make me lose it? And then it will feel like the sword falling on my neck. So Democles got it, apparently. The legend, in fact, has to do basically with the transitory nature of things, with the impermanence of everything. And yet, we insist. <coughs> we haven't had the opportunity to sit under Damocles' sword to learn that everything is ephemeral, everything is impermanent. We keep hanging on to the default setting of our mind where the future is beautiful as we want it. Well, even if we want it horrible, it's as we want it. Now, just, just going back to this business of a default setting. In computer language, default settings are the ones picked up by the ones that by those who initially program the computer as the more likely settings for the user to use, the ones that would work best under conventional circumstances. 
Now, myself, as a computer dummy, I loathe those settings, you know, because they keep, they keep popping up. For instance, I, in certain circumstances, I want uh, um, a certain size of letters, a font, to come up. But the default setting is a tiny one, and I have not been able to change it, so every time I forget, I get the tiny one, then I have to go back again and, and put the... I can change it for one time, but I cannot change the default setting there. Habitual one. And of course, that's for the mind as well. Our minds seem to have been programmed, however, whoever programmed them. <laughs> Conditioned, as it's a more appropriate word, conditioned for some stubborn default settings that keep coming up like this. Looking forward. Now, I, I have to say, I'm in the case of the mind. I'm not such a dummy as in the case of the computer. <laughs> I have finally come to realize that there are optional settings, and I have ways of resetting them. And so, I have practice at resetting the looking forward. And I know there's an alternative. The alternative is being present. Simple as that. But how do we change these settings? For some peculiar reason, our mind doesn't have a screen and a, a whole bunch of items, uh, icons that we can click on and <laughs> change. Settings. It'd be nice, you know, to shift, say, from focusing on the future to focusing on the present, from absence to presence by click. But what our mind offers us is a, an opportunity of retraining it. It takes commitment, it takes patience, it takes a willingness to go to some dark places at times, but it's possible. And the key tool for that is this practice, or, or other practices like this, surely is meditation or the equivalent thereof. And, and this practice goes through stages, yes, of course, like most everything else. I'll just outline a, a few in this sequence, a, a sequence, potential sequence. So we start 
by trying to focus the mind on the breath. And we discover first fundamental lesson that it's very difficult to stay there. At least when we start the practice, and sometimes, often enough, much later in the game. So, that's the bad news. And, and then, there's the good news. Occasionally, we don't know how or why, by some quirk or distraction or something, hey, the mind gets a glimpse of what it's like to just be there. Just be there. Just be present. And, and it's not that difficult. So that's a good news. But the bad news is that the next stage, as we roam around this space, we bump into our accumulations, into our cesspool stuff. We, we have accumulated a lot of stuff, and it comes back to haunt you, haunt us. But then the good news is that, hey, we begin to discover, either because we read it, because some <coughs> weird teacher mentioned it, or because we discovered it ourselves, that, you know, all that stuff, if we look into it, we can start sorting it out. And we don't have to hold on to this, on this crud. We can dispose it. We, we need to examine it, sure. We need to process it, yes. We need to go into the painful places, yes. But it is as if we live in a home where nothing ever got thrown away. <laughs> you know, there are people, and this isn't, I know it even has a name in, in psychotherapy and this, those who study the mind, there's a, an affliction with a, even a name of people who hoard things, who can't escape from that. Raquel and her family has had one member of family in whose apartment was practically inhabitable because he had collected newspapers since he was a teenager. He never threw any newspapers, and he got the paper nearly every day. Not to talk about, uh, you know, whatever, bottles and garbage and, and notes and papers and things like that. 
but it, 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 it's an affliction, yeah. And, and we practice that with our mind, yeah, most of us, yeah. But just as with the home, person can be trained to throw things away, and in our mind, too. Hey, we can clean up the cesspool in the language of yesterday's talk. And we can make our home inhabitable, a nice place to be, spacious. Now, a footnote here. Please notice when I sort of recommend that we do this and that, that we pursue a certain path, it's not because this is the correct, the, the, uh, the proper, approved path to follow. It's simply because it leads to the end of suffering. It's not that Raquel's relative should throw away all the papers because it's one shouldn't accumulate papers and garbage in the house, and likewise with our mind. It's because it interferes with the well-being. It brings suffering. This is the only criterion that holds water in the Buddhist teachings. And here's the Buddha himself talking about this. If friends, one who enters and dwells amidst, amidst unwelcome, sorry, unwholesome states, could dwell happily in this very life without vexation, despair, and fever, then I would not praise the abandoning of unwholesome states. He, he even calls them unwholesome and said, yeah, but, you know, if they're good for you, gone, no problem. But because one who enters and dwells and meets unwholesome states, dwells in suffering in this very life with vexation, despair, and fever, I praise the abandon of unwholesome states. As simple as that. So, we vacate our home, or at least we start clearing some of the clutter in our home. As an act of compassion towards ourselves. How we do it, how fast we do it, will vary from person to person, from circumstances to circumstances. Details of this process may perhaps come up during the inquiry or in the groups. Sure, they do, very often. What what matters is the eventual outcome of this retraining of the mind. And the eventual outcome 
is that we find ourselves inhabiting spacious and cluttered space. A moment ago I was talking about a clutter home, and that clutter home may have a room full of stuff from the past, another room full of fantasy about the present, another room full of projections to the future. As we clear this space, this of relics and remains, Between these three rooms, if they continue to be, we can still label it past, present, and future, there's a free-flowing. The three spaces now interconnect freely. I mean, we are there, but the, the past reverberates in our direct experience. We can, we can live the past, but, but the same way that we live our present, not based on memories and relics that are frozen there, cluttering our space, but it's just a space. And, and likewise with the future. We can open up to the future. I mean, the, we can project to the future. Mm. But not sort of with the fixity of looking forward to this or that. Um, Pema Chodron suggests, for instance, that we pin or stick on the door of our refrigerator the sign saying, abandon hope. It's a, it sounds a bit striking, but yeah, I mean, hope for anything specific. That's what she means, of course. Past, present, and future continue to exist, but they flow into each other. You know, just just as the, the talk itself flows, the, the, the sentence I'm saying now is connected to sentences I said before. It's not that the, 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 all I said before becomes alive again in what I'm saying right now. And what I'm saying right now, in a way, naturally, and hopefully, will unfold in what I say next. So there's nothing to do with the denial of the unfoldment, the historical unfoldment of things, of our life. It's with the being frozen in the past and using the, the frozen past as our refuge of being frozen in the future or even in the present. Mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, in, in the group today, I was talking about uh, how having been in jail in my youth and having seen, not seen directly, but heard and got first-hand reports of tortures taking place next door in the same building. Um, I didn't happen to be, I was a, a, just, just a freshman in college, and I didn't get tortured because I got there by mistake. I still spent some 10 days or so. They thought I was a high school student, and, and I was, and they were investigating this very dangerous, subversive movement of high school students that I had contributed to, to create. But it wasn't that dangerous, you know. It was, it was we did what we could. But because of, uh, so since I was already in college, uh, uh, they spared me the torture that others had. But I mentioned that because this informs my mind still today, not as a frozen memory, but as a knowledge that this can happen. This was happening in the time in Argentina, I lived in Argentina, which was allied in a tenuous way, but still allied with Germany and Italy, with Nazi and fascist regimes, and copying them. And, and so that's an experience that I have in my being somehow, and it, it can surface not as past, but as present, particularly these days when, lo and behold, in this place that's supposed to be the, the home of decency and democracy, torture is being used, similar methods. So I, I relive that awareness that I had before. But I'm not stuck there. I'm reliving it, triggered by what's happening now. Now, hopefully, this is a passing phase. I'm not too sanguine about that, but still. And so, history is important. Not necessarily to know the details and map it in the future, but to know that things do happen, and that this is a fluid world, and yes, I, I hope I can contribute to, in some minor way, to the well-being of my grandchildren, their grandchildren, and all of your grandchildren, and all the grandchildren of the people who are walking on the street right now. So, let's say we dispose of a clutter. We have this spacious home to live in. 
this spacious mind to inhabit. Not much clutter, a little bit, you know. Nothing frozen anyway. For me, the opportunity to really visiting, visit it fully and clear it up a little bit, you know, before that. Because there are always stuff accumulates. Throwing the newspapers from the last week, not from the last 10 years, but last week, whatever. That opportunity comes up when I can do a retreat. And some month ago, I had the fortune of taking a month off to do a retreat at the Forest Refuge. It doesn't matter where. Forest Refuge is a good place. But I mean, any place that leaves you alone is a good place. <laughs> Sorry if I don't leave you alone too much. <laughs> this is a brief, a brief sample, that's all. So there I was for a month. And, and you know, I could visit these places, this spaciousness, really. That, that's totally out of the ordinary. Well, body and mind are teeming with life, with a vividness that at times transformed into quietude, into a, a, a serenity, a stillness. I, I, I don't know how to communicate it. How could I communicate? I, uh, I'm talking. <laughs> if I'm talking, I'm breaking the stillness. I think the best way of communicating that is just to sit together. So let's just take uh, the next five minutes and, and sit together and visit our abode of at least some stillness. <laughs> <laughs>